thank you very much, Asti. Uh, a very warm welcome to everybody here. Uh, once again, an excellent turnout for uh, a Britcham webinar. I believe 25 since um, April the 7th now, and we continue to engage our members through these webinars and also um, something that's become a feature is the ability for us to reach out to UK facing businesses and also our colleagues in the ASEAN region as well. So a very warm welcome to you. Um, I'm particularly pleased to also welcome our partner and sponsor of this particular webinar, which is Kelly's Express, um, well known and well renowned throughout Indonesia for uh, logistics, whether it's from a corporate perspective or a personal and domestic perspective. Thank you very much, Kelly's Express. Um, it's a great pleasure to uh, welcome the panel that we have today. And uh, it's also a little bit strange um, at times for a Chamber of Commerce. We spend most of our time talking up the opportunities in Indonesia. Um, for years now, we've been going on roadshows into the UK, going from town to town, city to city dispelling some of the myths, uh, trying to get people to think of Indonesia in a much greater context than just Bali, which is what it is for some, um, and really doing some of the PR for the country, which I think we would all accept from time to time. Indonesia is not great at presenting the best of what it is, uh, particularly in terms of uh, business opportunities. Um, so when we look at the particular piece of work that's behind today's webinar, uh, which comes from TMF and will be delivered by Alvin Christian, who's the managing director of the TMF Group Indonesia. Um, we, we begin by looking at a, a perspective which shows Indonesia as being the most complicated market for doing business out of 72 that were polled. Um, but together with um, the other panelists, um, Marius, who has mentioned to you, Foreign Council, um, who have represented a number of businesses that have been doing market access into Indonesia uh, in the fields of engineering, manufacturing, infrastructure, to name but a few. And also Gabriel, who's the country director of uh, Arab, uh, a company co committed to being involved in many of the progressive opportunities in Indonesia around infrastructure, energy, and, and others. Um, we'll be talking to two people that'll put, be able to put some balance and some perspective on, on Indonesia, because yes, it might be a little bit complicated as we're going to find out, but at the same time, it is still a country of great opportunity and it is not deterring the right businesses from taking market access opportunities. So I, I think with that, just to remind everybody, as Asti mentioned, there is a Q&A box, please use it. Um, we have some questions already uh, from you delivered uh, as you uh, made your registration. Thanks, we'll try and get through as many of those as we can. In some cases, they're a little bit similar, so we might have to do some bundling, hope you don't mind that. And anything that we don't get around to, uh, we will provide an opportunity to give some answers by uh, email and continue the dialogue that way, should you wish. Um, so from me, really, I'd like to hand over the baton um, to hear the, uh, the findings of the work um, that is at the center of this particular webinar. And in doing so, welcome Alvin Christian, who is the Managing Director of TMF Group Indonesia. Alvin. Thanks very much, Chris, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, 
and um, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, have this discussion this afternoon with all of you. Hope everyone is doing well and uh, staying safe and sound. Um, also, thanks for Gabriel and Maris to, to join us today um, and hope to have a fruitful discussion among ourselves and along with the audience, obviously. So, um, to um, to open up, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all uh, today um, about our global complexity, uh, business complexity index. What I'm hoping to be able to deliver is um, sort of the overall process taken to um, conduct the GBCI and the consideration uh, taken into place and sort of the results that um, came out of it. Um, but before we do that, to set to set the context uh, for, for our discussion, I thought it would be helpful for me to uh, give a brief overview of oh, who we are, TMF Group, and um, what we do. So um, TMF Group, uh, simply put, um, as a tagline is showing there, we make a complex world simple. So we do that by helping our clients and operate, expand internationally, and make them feel belong wherever they are in the world. Um, we do this by helping uh, companies um, properly set up business, uh, uh, businesses in different countries, uh, expand into and invest into those countries, you know, um, but at the same time making sure that they're doing it in a safe and compliant manner um, in accordance with the local and international regulations. So just a few key facts about us, TMF Group. Um, we are um, a globally operating company. Uh, we have a global footprint in 80 plus jurisdictions with about uh, close to 8,000 8, uh, professionals um, at the different offices throughout the world. Uh, we are globally certified um, from an ISO and ISAE perspective, as well as a um, business continuity uh, program perspectives. We do have quite a number of global clients, uh, about 15,000 of them. Um, we are servicing um, majority of the Fortune Global 500 and majority of the FTSE or the Financial Times um, um, uh, 100 index. Um, <clears throat> we are servicing in the realm of um, corporate secretarial entity management, accounting and tax services, HR and payroll services, as well as capital market. Just a quick view of our global clients um, we have across the world. Uh, maybe a few notable ones, um, uh, Amazon, Alibaba, um, Apple, um, Gojek, actually Arab is also a client of us. Um, and uh, from, from um, you know, some of the ones that are um, local, uh, local organizations are Gojek and Medco Energy are the, um, you know, some of our um, you know, global client portfolios. So this is actually a, a study uh, that has been conducted uh, that kicked off for about seven years back. So this is the seven year uh, TMF group um, conducted the study. Um, the study itself is conducted based on um, three essential categories uh, being listed here. Uh, one is the rules, regulations, and penalties. Two is the accounting and tax. Um, and three is the HR and payroll 
um, i.e. labor law environment. Hopping over to the results of the 2020 uh, complexity deck study. Um, this is the, uh, a snapshot of the uh, most complex jurisdictions, uh, dependent upon the different regions we operate in. Um, you can see that, that um, Indonesia uh, uh, on the right side there um, has the unenviable uh, position to be ranked number one uh, from um, the perspective of business complexity uh, in all the jurisdictions that we operate in. So about 77 of them. And um, you know, uh, followed closely by Brazil um, and then Argentina and Bolivia uh, that um, are um, on the Americas region of our operations. Um, on conversely, on the other side of it, the three most simple jurisdictions um, are represented here. Um, Americas with Curacao and USA and Jamaica, all the number one, two, and three of the simplest jurisdictions to operate in. And while in APEC, Hong Kong, um, has the highest rank uh, of the simplest jurisdiction for APEC, followed by Singapore and New Zealand. To give, um, to give a better context of uh, the study and the results, um, thought be helpful to look at a couple of jurisdictions in APEC, in Asia Pacific, um, to get a better sense of the different nuances of the JBCI. So the first one here, we have China. China is the sixth most complex globally, globally and second most complex jurisdiction in Asia Pacific next to Indonesia. Um, key challenges uh, you know, resulting in the complexities are the, uh, the trade war or the trade tensions between US and China. And um, uh, obviously play a big factor uh, to the ability to um, get set up and get operating um, in, in China. Uh, in addition to that is the layers uh, upon layers of um, legislation and regulations um, that are quite decentralized. There is the, the, the central government mandates uh, being obviously uh, controlled and managed uh, at a central level. And then you have the provincial level regulations as well as um, interpretations uh, that that uh, could vary quite drastically from one to another. Uh, on the other side of it, uh, there are a couple of main drivers of the simplicity and uh, what make China uh, uh, attractive for investors. One is the incentives uh, for multinationals companies to enter China and market their products within China jurisdiction. Second point there is the um, investment, uh, the foreign investment law that just came into place uh, earlier this year in January 2020, um, which essentially uh, streamline and simplify uh, the process to create joint venture or create a foreign um, uh, entity within the China jurisdiction. Next example we have here is Malaysia, uh, which is our closest neighbor, uh, maybe next to Singapore. So China, I mean, sorry, Malaysia is ranked number ninth, uh, most complex globally, um, and third most complex in Asia Pacific, 
uh, next to China. Um, the challenges faced by Malaysia um, uh, cumbersome incorporation process um, with multiple applications and requirements needed, um, which obviously slow down the process of uh, incorporation. The secondary challenge there uh, is uh, the um, prescribed form and template um, being used, uh, whereby the language requirement is in Malay. And then there's a bit about the digital signature, um, which uh, also is a nuance we still experience in Indonesia, where it's still not widely accepted. Um, on the other side of it, you have um, some drivers of simplicity in Malaysia, where one, uh, the legal system in Malaysia is based on common law. Number two, uh, the, convergence, the convergence of accounting practices in Malaysia to the, the International Financial Reporting Standard, or IFRS, um, and um, the appetite or desire uh, by the Malaysian government to simplify the process uh, of um, uh, incorporation and uh, getting set up or the directorship requirement uh, to attract more FDI into the Malaysian market. Next is the, uh, you know, the country that's uh, probably uh, the simplest or second simplest jurisdiction in APAC, uh, which is Singapore. Some of the challenges in Singapore um, being a hub of a lot of uh, multinational companies are um, the scrutiny around BEPS, which is the base erosion, erosion and profit shifting, um, and, and countermeasures by the OECD um, to, um, to minimize the shifting of uh, profit into, into the country. Uh, and then the other one is the um, uh, quota around uh, foreign workers. Uh, which uh, regularly reviewed and adjusted. Um, on the other side of it, where it has a lot of, uh, is the drivers of simplicity. One uh, is um, the uh, corporate tax rate, which is quite competitive uh, at 17%. And, the, and then uh, there is also the uh, tax treaty or double tax agreements signed with over 80 different countries that make, uh, which make for, uh, which makes Singapore um, an attractive place to, to operate or um, designated as a hub. Um, also working in favor of Singapore is the, similar to Malaysia, the legal system that's based on common law framework, uh, allowing for uh, uh, transparency and consistency. And then, um, I think the, one of the most important thing in, in my mind is the, the, the digitalization of the government, which allows uh, employers, uh, particularly to transact with, with government agencies online. So employers and companies. So focusing on Indonesia right now, um, Indonesia is mentioned before as the um, in undesirable uh, position to be ranked number one. Um, the area of complexity in Indonesia, um, the first ones are the uh, multiple layers of legislations, um, sometimes called as uh, legislation's obesity, where we are, whereby we have 30 plus, uh, 30,000 plus of um, regulations and legislations that sometimes are overlapping and contradictory. 
um, this is usually happening at the uh, national uh, level, presidential, and then you have the provincial and you have the ministry. So, um, you know, uh, that's, that's uh, some, uh, obviously the obvious challenge with operating in Indonesia. The secondary challenge with operating in Indonesia is the negative investment list, uh, which is um, consisting of 500 plus business fields, 515 to be exact, which restricts the percentage of foreign ownership within each industry sector. Um, and uh, it is regarded as one of the primary obstacles to operating or expanding into Indonesia. On the other side of it, for Indonesia, um, we have the uh, strong desire from the government to increase um, FDI and create Indonesia as an investment heaven, investment destination uh, globally. And some, uh, a lot of efforts have been put in. One uh, that was just, has been, has been in place for a while now is the OSS, the Online Single Submission System. Uh, which is intended to speed up or streamline the process of uh, application or incorporation of an entity in Indonesia. Um, there is another effort addressing the negative list of investment. Um, the idea is to convert that for, uh, from a negative list of investment into positive investment list, which is expected to be implemented in uh, this year, 2020 which um, uh, obviously will open up more sectors to the, uh, of the Indonesian economy to, to FDI. Um, another effort being um, ongoing uh, is the uh, omnibus law um, being considered. Uh, the idea is to, again, finalize and implement omnibus law in 2020. Um, the intention of uh, omnibus law is to uh, revamp and streamline the number of regulations in place. Essentially, the, um, the uh, regulation of obesity uh, alluded to earlier. From, from the perspective of accounting and tax, um, the challenges in Indonesia is punitive tax loss regime with significant fines and penalties, up to 100% in some cases. Rules and standards that are different uh, said by different authorities can, can vary significantly in terms of implementation. And then also just the number of uh, re reporting requirements needed. A case in point listed here is uh, for financial service companies, whereby you know, uh, they must support business activities in various shapes and forms to the Ministry of Finance, as well as to the Financial Services Authority or OJK, uh, as well as to the uh, Central Bank of Indonesia. Um, simplicity drivers for, uh, for Indonesia from the perspective of accounting tax um, are the multiple tax incentives uh, in place now, uh, reacting to COVID, some of the government schemes um, uh, being um, earmarked for, uh, for tax incentives, I think, uh, uh, the size, uh, the quantum of it is about 123 trillion, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to go into uh, the different incentives uh, of corporate tax, um, import tax, and um, you know, and uh, 
a lot of other things which um, we can go over later on. <laughs> the other, the other, the other driver of simplicity here is uh, actually the alignment uh, of um, the standard accounting, uh, uh, standard accounting reporting and reporting for Indonesia or PSAK to IFRS, which um, you know um, converging in uh, in a uh, in, um, uh, two year two year gap at the most. So in most in, in a lot of cases, it's actually one year gap. That's the last piece of the um, complexity uh, in Indonesia is in, in the in the um, in, in the area of labor labor law or HR and payroll. Um, the challenges here is the strangest uh, stringent manpower law, which heavily favors employees and restricts disciplinary actions against underperforming employees. Another one is severance payment regulations. Contain several multipliers, um, causing companies to view severance as an expensive endeavor. Um, think, uh, take that quick uh, simulation, then you know, and learn that you know could get up to thirty-two uh, months of of um, potentially payout uh, for 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 uh, a termination. And then. Um, I think one other one here that's important is the uh, the fact that all employment matters, including termination, need to be registered uh, to the Industrial Relations Court or, or PHI. Um, drivers of simplicity uh, is obviously uh, the obvious one is the omnibus law being drafted and being considered right now, which um, you know uh, covers also the manpower law. The idea here is to ease the current regulations. Um, it is facing some challenges and uh, outcry due to the changes uh, anticipated to um, articles mentioned here around, around the severance and severance, severance year payout. payout. Um, um, although um, within the draft also there is a mandatory bonus payout being considered. Um, I think another one that's um, uh, driver of simplicity is the single national income tax rate that um, you know um, does not vary from uh, city to city or province province to province. Quick snapshot, uh, uh, snapshot of Indonesia when compared to our neighbors um, against the other Asian na na nations. Indonesia ranks highest in the initial investment, land, and labor costs. Um, with also highest uh, number of regulated business sectors at 515, as mentioned earlier. Um, while on the other side, um, from the perspective of incentives being offered in Indonesia, uh, it, it is in fact quite competitive when compared to our neighbors. Um, you can see there are a variety of uh, deduction and super deduction and the tax holiday and um, uh, tax exemption um, that um, businesses can 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 uh, take advantage of. It's a quick uh, snapshot of where we are uh, right now, given the pandemic uh, situation. Um, GDP growth 2020 in Q1 and Q2 um, on a year-on-year -year basis, um, showing 2.97 growth in Q1. 2.97% growth in Q1 and a contraction of 5.32% um, in Q2. So um, under the assumption of 
longer global uh, economic contraction and mobility restriction. The annual GDP growth uh, is estimated to be, uh, well, best case is zero and worst cases could be around negative 2% in 2020. Um, another, uh, another point to highlight here is the uh, investment realization of, um, of this year, the targeted investment realization um, has not been met. Um, in fact, we're showing a decline in the investment realization between Q1 and Q2 to the tune of 8.9% uh, um, uh, quarter to date. By and large, uh, looking at um, some of the figures and um, charts just now, um, Indonesia has been severely impacted by uh, the pandemic, maybe not worse than some of the other countries or world globally, but uh, all the major sectors of the, uh, of the economy of Indonesia, from manufacturing, agriculture, mining, construction, and trade, uh, granted to a halt in Q2, which resulted in uh, the contraction of 5.32% uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, the road to recovery uh, for Indonesia is a long one, um, but some of the milestones here are, one is to, um, you know, uh, uh, from a pandemic perspective is to flatten the curve um, by contract tracing and, and spending capacity. From a recession perspective, you know, ensuring adequate support for imp impacted individuals and businesses and also by accelerating the, the recovery through the National Economic Recovery Program and um, finalization of the omnibus law. Uh, from, from a debt perspective, um, what, what uh, needs to happen is reallocation and elimination of subsidies to help increase investment in infrastructure and human capital and tax reforms uh, that can stop uh, Indonesia from climbing further along the debt curve. Uh, in terms of reaching the goal to be a high-income uh, economy or high-income nation, the ambitious target of the government to be uh, top five global GDP by 2045 uh, of uh, USD7 trillion um, uh, has not changed, um, but obviously further uh, steps uh, need to be taken by the government uh, and, and, uh, in light of the COVID pandemic situation. Um, this is just a bit of our perspectives from TMF Group um, about Indonesia. It's ranked most complex globally uh, due to different things mentioned earlier. Evolving in compliance requirements uh, that make it more intricate to do business than, than before, um, at least for uh, a short period of time. Um, and the, the need for firms to better understand the rules of engagement with regulators and integrate them into uh, inter, internal policies. What businesses need to do? Uh, I think the most important thing we, uh, we observe is that businesses need to adapt quickly um, to uh, uh, fast evolving uh, regulations in landscape. Um, 
as the changes and um, um, the transformation uh, uh, shifting uh, are intended to support the businesses, um, particularly in the night of the, of the pandemic. So on this one, uh, it's just more a global view of what um, our observation is. Um, from the accounting and tax perspective, we feel there's a shift away from a, a well-known uh, stringent and granular auditing process. Um, there is a technology adoption for taxation processes that continue to accelerate globally um, through the different uh, cooperations uh, by the uh, by the different governments, um, rules, regulations, and penalty. Relooking of regulations for paper and seal culture, uh, which is which is uh, one that um, obviously um, a challenge at the moment. And then on the human resources and payroll side, uh, leading the way, um, many aspects of payroll and benefits, and having measures in place um, to support the economy, the recovery, and the workforce. How to mitigate the complexities? At a high level, there are four things that, um, that we would recommend here. Uh, one, particularly in, in light of the pandemic situation, is one to very important to manage your liquidity, right? Uh, two is to have a local trusted partner that can give you guidance, give you insight, and has the knowledge and the know-how um, and can help you manage the, uh, to navigate through the complexity. Three is take full advantage of the available government schemes and supports. Um, BKPM, the Investment Coordinating Board of Indonesia, is very focused on the bottlenecking the obstacles for investment realizations right now. And then Four uh, is focus your time and effort in growth activities um, to tap into the potential of the market. And then this is just a, a, a recap of what we covered earlier in terms of our um, provision of services and uh, solutions we have for our clients. Uh, again, corporate secretarial, uh, HR and payroll, accounting tax, and capital market and fund services. So with that, um, I am concluding my uh, presentation. So uh, back to you, Chris. Alvin, thank you very much indeed. It's, it's a very, very interesting piece of work, um, particularly interesting to see some of the comparative information uh, across some of the neighboring countries. And also, uh, I think we welcome uh, you choosing uh, some direct comparisons with China and Malaysia as well. And perhaps we can pick on one or two one or two points that came out of there. Um, so without doubt, uh, using the parameters that were used in this piece of work, this survey, Indonesia has come out as the, uh, as the most complex um, country of 70 odd countries surveyed. But right the way through that presentation as well, I kept on seeing uh, lots of positivity uh, around the opportunities, around a commitment to simplification um, a commitment to uh, and, and recognition of um, some of the areas such as the negative list becoming positive list and so on that have been impediments to Indonesia being as popular as it should be given the size. 
Um, I'd like to bring in Marius, if I, if I may, at this stage, before I go formally into some of the q and I mean, Marius, you're, you're a professional advisor through, through your legal firm. And, and as such, you are dealing with companies that are taking a close look at market access at Indonesia. And without doubt, um, your firm must also be guiding them as to uh, how those opportunities and, and how doing business might compare to other countries that they would be considering. Um, to, to, to what extent do the findings of this survey um, actually resonate with how you are guiding the businesses that are your clients um, and also with the conclusions that your clients are making with regards to Indonesia? Yeah, thank you, Chris, and thank you to Bridgham for the opportunity to speak today uh, and also to Pak uh, Alvin for the excellent presentation and certainly many of the points that Puck Alvin touched on uh, do resonate and uh, you know I think it is understood that Indonesia is a complex jurisdiction to do business and it has a very complex regulatory environment. However at the same time uh, it's clear that the government has recognized that that is the case and the government has taken quite a number of steps um, to try and address this uh, and also is very clear um, that Indonesia is actually open for business and the government at a central level is very interested in welcoming and attracting foreign investors to Indonesia. So I think you know, that's also something that's important to, to bear in mind. Um, against our background, we help clients uh, come in and invest in Indonesia for the first time uh, at different levels or enter into different trading and distribution arrangements as well as in terms of their existing operations in Indonesia. And you know, from on the ground, I guess, perspective in the trenches, I think a lot has already actually been done to bring a lot of the initial licensing processes for establishing uh, companies and platforms in Indonesia, bringing them online and streamlining a lot of those processes. Although, as we've heard, there's still a lot of licenses to go through, still a lot of entities to talk to. I think. The next step is to bring that into the operational sphere as well. And so we also deal with a number of clients that have existing operations, but still continue to address and deal with, deal with problems. I think for companies that are coming in for the first time, I think, I think the, probably the key thing to bear in mind is really that uh, to be very cautious about adopting a strategy used in, in a home country or in other countries and just trying to enforce that uh, carte blanche in the Indonesia context. And of course, every country has its differences and particularities. And I think it's particularly important in the case of Indonesia to bear those things in mind, to bear those particular constraints um, and other issues and challenges which we've uh, discussed during this session in mind and adapt strategies in relation to that and perhaps take new uh, and innovative approaches, uh, which perhaps wouldn't, uh, wouldn't uh, apply uh, in other markets, but can actually apply in Indonesia context. And we do have some examples of companies who have stayed in Indonesia for the long haul and have really, uh, and really been successful. And you know, once you do establish and find a platform that, and strategy that works for your business, you suddenly unlock the huge potential and opportunity of Indonesia, which everyone is, is familiar with. So uh, it's not to say that, you know, this is, uh, it's, a, it's a big market, uh, it's something that has to be considered, but 
at the same time, uh, you know, it's particularly important to use uh, resources on the ground, um, you know, in order to ensure that a strategy can be adapted to the market and some of these challenges can be successfully navigated. Uh, thank you, Marius. And, and I think throughout this, what we're going to find is um, we will keep coming back to, yes, difficult, yes, complicated, but can be navigated. Um, and uh, some of the solutions to, to the navigations is about having the right support systems around. And I think we'd, uh, we'd all agree that there's a great deal of professional guidance and in-country experience available to businesses that are looking to come into Indonesia. Um, Gabriel, uh, if I could bring you into the conversation here, um, Alvin did happen to point a finger at you being uh, Arab, being a client of TMF. You've gone through this process of risk managing market access in the not too distant past. Um, you know, which were the key things that were highlighted that um, got particular focus and attention? Um, and how comfortable are you with the decision that's been made? I guess the um, probably the, the, the single trickiest area for us has been um, starting a business, the formalities around starting a business. I mean, there are different indices. So uh, there's the TNF Indice Index, which is about uh, business complexity. Um, other organizations also run indices. The World Economic Forum has its Global Competitive this index, which is essentially about productivity. And on that scale, you know, Indonesia is 50th out of 141. So a pretty respectable level in the scores. And then of course, there's the World Bank's ease of doing business um, index. And back in 2014, Indonesia was languishing at number 120 out of 190. And in three years to 2017, you know, it, it climbed up quite dramatically to number 72, 73, which is where it's been stuck since. But the, the point about that is that uh, improvements have taken place and, and with, with, with effort they do take place. But also within those indices, um, they're, they're a, an aggregate of a number of different scores. And while in, on the World Bank rating, Indonesia is at number 73, if you look at starting a business, it's 140 out of 190. And that's certainly been uh, our experience here. I mean, we're, we're a, globally, we're an employee-owned company. And that means there's a particular level. We try and squeeze the whole world, you know, the 30-something countries that we have offices in, into a single model of trust ownership. Um, so we have a very, very particular demands about the way we're going to do things. Um, when I write, I, I should have started with a disclaimer. I'm not an Indonesia expert. I've been in Indonesia just over two years. I've worked in a few other difficult places around the world. Uh, difficult places. Uh, a few other, yeah, a few other places which, on the face of it, are difficult. And, and Based on that, my observation is that Indonesia isn't particularly difficult. It has its own flavours and own characteristics. But on this business of setting up a business, it really is one. And uh, our company secretary, who I spoke to uh, about setting up the business here, I said, well, I'm sure it's tricky in all sorts of places, you know. And he said, no, no, this is definitely <laughs> the, the, um, the most difficult one that we've had and like I say when I arrived two years ago my colleagues were saying okay we're trying to set up a, a third entity we reckon it's going to take about another year 
two years on, we're still saying we think it's going to take another year. But in the meantime, we're able to proceed with our partner company. Um, it has absolutely not got in the way of the two the, of the five-year plan that we created two years ago, where we said, you know, we're going to aim to grow at about 30% a year um, and have 100 plus staff in five years' time, and we've got these financial targets. Uh, when we reviewed that after the first two years, a couple of months ago, we're bang on target. So, so there's a sort of compliance piece, which is super important, but it but for most of our people, that sits in the background. You know, we, we just get on and deliver projects for our clients in the meantime, taking advice on compliance. Um, and, and I guess one thing to say about compliance is also that uh, rules are one thing, interpretation of rules is another. And, you know, Indonesia seems to me a pretty flexible place to do business. There are... If you don't flout the rules and go charging gung-ho through them, um, which, is, which is a disastrous approach, um, but if, if instead you, 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 know, you, you talk to people, you find out how other people have done things, you find out where, where the flexibility is, then you can do business. And, and you know, to give an example of that, um, well, there, there, are some rule, there are some regulations which are mutually incompatible. You can't... You can't obey all the rules all the time in some places, especially when the interpretation of the rules is down to officials whose job is not to make sure they're compatible with everybody else. So, you know, immigration laws and um, taxation laws can be in conflict. Um, and for example, you can bid for a project, a national priority infrastructure project in our case, you can say to the client, which is the public authority, uh, we're going to need your help to get work permits um, and they say yes yes we'll, we'll make sure that happens it's a national priority project when you actually hit the ground and start delivering of course it's not so easy for those things to be managed concurrently and, and work permits and it, it is another particular area that can be that can be tricky but again the you, you can progress with caution, taking advice, not flouting things, but seeing what can be done while other things are sorted out. Uh, yeah, you, you can get on with it. Um, the, another area which I'm aware of, but which actually hasn't affected us, is the human resources, uh, and in particular employment conditions and, and the difficulty of laying people off. We're very much aware of that. Um, but you know we're we're in this for the long term. We're we're trying to grow a business and retain people. We tend to have very high staff retention in any case. So for our kind of business, that that really doesn't worry us. We're uh, to use the words of one of our former chairman. We're we're gardeners, not hunters. And um, okay, if the omnibus law is successful, that would be great because that means the rate of growth that we're going to be achieved is probably higher because, because the economy as a whole will, will grow faster. But if it doesn't succeed in the short term, if the change takes longer, yeah, so be it. it, it it's not a showstopper. Um, thanks, uh, Gabriel. I, I think this really, um, uh, you know, Alvin highlighted, what was it, 30,000 plus overlapping regulations. Um, particularly highlighted the challenges in relation to manpower, the costs um, also. 
And uh, we've had a couple of questions around uh, the omnibus law. And of course, as we know, the omnibus law is regarded and, and hoped to be the, um, the solution to a lot of the problems around the complexity um, to remove um, <clears throat> rather a way of creating an umbrella law that supersedes a lot of the overlapping laws that, uh, that have gone before. Um, but the omnibus law, its deliberation has been slowed down because of um, practical considerations of, of COVID and so on. Um, the question comes from Anthony King and it really revolves around a fact that those of us that are in country accept. Um, it is unlikely to be accepted 100% the way it is. Um, most of us consider that it will get accepted, I think, with uh, elements of dilution, which is um, the, the usual way, compromise. Um, but will its diluted form, uh, uh, taking into account those areas where we feel there might be dilution, probably around manpower is one, uh, will its diluted form be enough to really um, address its, the, the main purpose of dismantling so much of this inherited complexity? Um, I, I'd like to begin with uh, Alvin because you've had uh, a good 10 minute break listening to uh, your, your two <laughs> other colleagues here in the panel. What, what do you think about that? No, uh, absolutely. I did notice uh, that that question as well from from um, Anthony. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, a really good one. And um, I think, like you, uh, you you already alluded to, I think um, this this um, this is part of the deliberation process right now that's ongoing and obviously slight well more than slightly delayed um, given given the pandemic. I think uh, what needs to happen is um, I feel um, uh, from my observation, our observation, that it's going to be an iterative process, right? So there need to be a prioritization and there need to be a compromise, like you said, Chris. So, so that's what, what come into play in, 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 the, in, the, in this, in, this um, in, in the near future about, about this. I think in terms of prioritization, the obvious ones in, in my mind are one is the negative list or the positive list of investment, right? And the, the, the other one is obviously the, the chief or the job creation, which, which also touch upon it, the, uh, the, the labor law, right? Um, but um, right now, uh, the, the way I kind of view, view them uh, objectively, is, uh, particularly maybe if we use one example on the, on the labor law, right? You, you have sort of the, the, two, um, the two extreme, um, two end of the spectrums, right? One, you want to view it that way is the, the, the current, right? The current law and then on one end and then the, the, the proposal uh, draft being drafted or being deliberated uh, uh, in the omnibus. So, you know, um, I think the iterative process needs to take, uh, take place and um, uh, until such time, then, you know, uh, we, we are going to continue uh, to face the, the delays and the, you know, uh, the doubts and, you know, confusion on, on potential investors are, are, are coming in. But uh, that said, the, the strong desire of government is definitely, definitely there, right? It's just more, again, balancing, balancing both, end, <laughs> both end of the spectrums and um, you know, finding a happy medium for, you know, for all parties involved, so. Okay, thank you. Um, Marius, um, you're a legal man. Um, the omnibus law, uh, 
what, what's your sense on uh, to what extent it might need to be diluted and would such dilution still uh, achieve its purpose? Yes, uh, yeah, very good question, Chris. So, um, you know, just by way of background, so the omnibus law, this is a very comprehensive bill that covers many different sectors of the economy and many different uh, underlying legal systems and frameworks in the, in the country. So it's a, it's a huge piece of legislation and it's been in the House of Representatives, the DPR uh, in uh, Indonesia since about the middle of April. So it's been there for a number of months. And yep. as this type of legislation moves through the House of Representatives, it goes through a number of stages of discussion. And um, you know, according to our research, uh, it's uh, still in that first stage of discussion. There's been over 20 meetings though to discuss aspects of uh, the, the bill. And um, there's usually a long list of outstanding issues uh, that need to be resolved. And from what I understand, there's over 3000 issues, but the good news is over half of those have now been resolved. So the, the, you know, although the government had originally anticipated to pass the bill into law by, by August, um, and certainly we're now expecting that uh, timeframe certainly to be pushed out, there is progress being made. Um, now, as has been pointed out by the other panelists, there are some very sensitive aspects uh, of the omnibus bill, um, the manpower laws, uh, and you know, and the negative list, for example, as well. Um, but this bill covers a lot of different elements, and uh, you know, from the capital investment laws to business licensing system, tax issues, and other things. And uh, you know, I think. If, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these aspects can be actually be carved out and moved forward, or the sensitive ones perhaps can be parked. There's a lot of things that can be moved forward in the meantime. Um, you know, perhaps a very particular example, but in the context of some of the provisions in the omnibus bill dealing with the mining sector, uh, what has actually happened is that uh, many of those provisions have been put into separate legislation and passed into law in parallel to the omnibus uh, bill. And so, you know, there is a lot there and, you know, there's a lot of work being done to try and reduce these complexities and, um, and actually address some of these issues. And I think it will certainly be possible to move forward with many of those things. Um, however, you know, there are some very sensitive areas as well, which are covered there, uh, which is going to mean there is going to be uh, some delay, but hopefully, uh, some of the less controversial ones can continue to be progressed and, and pushed forward as this bill goes through the uh, stages of discussion in the DPR. Um, th thanks, and, and uh, I appreciate your giving the background to our audience on the omnibus law. I had uh, I'd wrongly um, assumed that there'd be uh, an understanding, but appreciating that so many people are actually from the UK or from ASEAN, maybe not familiar. So I do appreciate that, um, Marius, and, and your comments. Um, what, one thing that we're all focused on at the moment um, globally is the fact that there has been huge dependence, hasn't there, on China in terms of um, supply chain for businesses. Um, I mean, talk about far too many eggs in one particular basket. Um, uh, I, I think, um, if there'd been some basic guidance, it would never have happened this way. And a lot of companies strategically now are looking to uh, diversify, um, manage the risk of dependence on one particular country. Um, I mean, I noticed from, from your 
comments, uh, Alvin. You know, China is the second most complex market in APAC anyway, and, and presumably the reason why most most companies are there is because it's such a huge domestic market and they're allowed access to it. Um, you mentioned that China is in the process of um, a new foreign investment law which would come in in 2020. So I'd, I'd like to ask um, a question of, of you first, Alvin, and then perhaps Gabriel could come in with a bit of uh, comment as, as uh, being with an organization that's present in 30 countries. Um, the, the question is, Will whatever China is doing be enough to stem this sense of need to diversify dependence on it? And secondly, will Indonesia's population, which is the driver of interest in China, Indonesia being the fourth most populous country in the world, be sufficient in spite of some of its complexities to attract the, uh, the diversification? That's my question, Alvin, or double-pronged question. Sure, uh, and thanks, Chris, for that. And um, I think uh, the second question uh, about the Indonesia's population being the fourth largest population in the world, uh, definitely, definitely going to be a, a big factor there, right? I mean, just looking at our demography of, um, of uh, the workforce, right? About 70% of our population um, is in that productive age group, right? Uh, so that's a good close to 200 million or maybe 190 million of, of, of people who uh, are um, productive age and ready to, you know, take on some of this. Uh, so in terms of the, um, uh, the number one question, which was about the, the, the change in the investment law, is that, is that right, Chris? And how that, well, I think for, for if anything, that, 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 sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just the question was, will it be enough to, to, to keep companies with that dependence in China and not go ahead with diversification strategies? Um, well, I think given what, I think the idea, because remember the investment law were, had been, had been um, in, in China, the, the change in, in investment law, the, 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 the streamlining and um, the simplification uh, measures they took uh, that um, had all been deliberated and considered before COVID, right? So um, I think in light of what's, what we know now, right, in Indonesia or, or globally, um, I think uh, it would definitely help China, but uh, I think it would, in terms of diversification and companies and organizations mitigating their risks and not putting their eggs all in one basket, i.e. China, uh, are going to continue on. Okay, so what we're saying here is Indonesia really does, you know, now is the time of opportunity Absolutely. and Indonesia really does need to, even on a diluted basis, address this uh, or get this omnibus law through, among other things, also switch to the positive list. Um, I, I couldn't also help but notice um, Vietnam is obviously one of the main competitors to Indonesia when it comes to uh, attracting foreign investment into the ASEAN region and, um, and and Indonesia has a high minimum wage 279 versus 183 to put yes. your um, stats uh, things like um, um, sorry the, the cost of land 170 versus 90 and the cost of water utility nearly double right. um, Gabriel as as somebody running a new uh, um, 
business in Indonesia over the last couple of years, as you say, having uh, still building uh, your business up to its, its third component at the moment. Um, how heavy have these considerations been? I mean, for us, the, the, the comparisons with Vietnam, for example, um, are not an issue. You know, we're interested in Vietnam in its own right. It's got a substantial population. We're interested in Indonesia in its own right. It's got a, a very large population and, and, and prospects. We have an office in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, um, which is at the moment about twice the size of our Jakarta office, but that just happens to be where it's developed. We're, we're interested in both places. I mean, sitting with Indonesia for a moment, you know, of course, if you're, if you're an investor thinking about um, creating a center from which you're going to export products to other areas, then, then it's a very different question. And, and that kind of uh, competition is important. But on that point, actually, in the, in the World Bank's ease of doing business rankings, you know, Vietnam and Indonesia are more or less a wash just because of the things that they measure. Right. Um, I think one's at 71 and one's at 73. But, uh, you know, one of the other fundamentals about Indonesia is its remarkably consistent, steady growth over the, since, since almost the Asian financial crisis. You know, if you look at the GDP growth, you'd think the global financial crisis never happened. And that's, that's because of Indonesia's success in insulating itself from external events, which of course it can't do with COVID. But, um, you know, okay, it would have been great if growth had been 2% higher every year, but nonetheless, whatever it was, 55 6% 6 steady growth over 20 years, uh, with, with all forecasts saying that's likely to continue, if, if anything, uh, we would be mad not to be in this market. Yeah, thank you. And, and even with COVID, a predicted uh, flatlining 0% or, or just uh, uh, minus 3 or 4%, I think most countries would be absolutely delighted to have uh, the prospect of that. And, and as we know, Indonesia has, in, in previous downturns, Indonesia has been a country that has genuinely come out with the V-shaped recovery. Um, and it's, it's yes. by and large been driven by the domestic consumption. Um, we've been running a, a, a quick question survey among our audience here today. And the question was, do you agree with Gabriel? Setup and compliance can be difficult, but it hasn't stopped us with our business plan, not including COVID considerations. I'm not surprised by the outcome. Um, but um, in spite of uh, things being a little bit difficult, some extra pieces of paper, needing to take in uh, extra advice to make sure that one is regulatorily compliant and so on, 89%, an overwhelming number of those businesses that are on this particular webinar that have direct interest in Indonesia, 89% agree. Um, so it, these are more annoyances rather than things that really disturb the business plan strategically. Um, uh, so great opportunity for Indonesia if, uh, if, if it can just simplify things just that little bit more and make it more attractive to the, the people in places like the UK that are trying to do the risk uh, management. Um, Gabriel, you more or less gave an answer to our colleague, Philomena Chen. She works for... Uh, with DIT uh, within the Northern Powerhouse region. She was 
she was asking for a little bit of comparative information on different uh, on attitudes and sense in different markets. Thank you for your uh, question, Philomena. Um, I'd now like to, uh, we brought up to the panel um, the principal of our sponsor, uh, Kelly's Express, that's uh, Raja, a very familiar face to many people. Um, Raja has a question that uh, he would like to ask the panel. Raja, please go ahead. My company has been in business of bringing in expats and sending back expats. Never have I faced so many numbers of people coming in compared to going out. Now, is there something that the panel did not know or against the norm? Because the last three months from May, June, July, we have received 400 full containers coming, new people coming into Indonesia, professionals. How okay. come this is possible when, according to Alvin, there are possibilities and greater difficulties, not simply enough to set up business in Indonesia? Raja, thanks for raising that. And it's, it's great to hear it from somebody that's actually bringing these people in. Um, Kelly's Express, thank you for that. So yeah. a huge number of people coming in and actually very few people going out. Actually, I don't think we're surprised to hear that except to the extent, because what we've been saying consistently since the start of this webinar is actually the opportunities in Indonesia are huge. And I think when I ask or invite um, closing comments from each of our panelists, perhaps it can be in this context of the opportunities are too big to ignore. And in the context, um, uh, sorry, the difficulties in the context of the opportunities actually do pale into a secondary sort of consideration. Uh, Marius, how about, how about you going first? And I'll allow Alvin to go last. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for the comments. Uh, I think, you know, that's, uh, look, I, I'm not surprised. Um, and, but, uh, you know, the number, sheer numbers are quite surprising. I know there's a number of uh, multinational companies that have people waiting, certainly, to, to come in. And perhaps, you know, part of this is, um, you know, in the words of Winston Churchill, don't let a good crisis go to waste, um, you know, perhaps this is the opportunity. Um, but, you know, certainly coming back to those opportunities, um, you know, perhaps, you know, there's a real whole separate session we could spend on those um, from the movement of the capital city, Fuiz Kalimantan, to 10 new Bali's, to the technology and uh, digital space. Indonesia has been a fantastic, vibrant um, ground for startups and, uh, you know, other technology companies that have grown significantly um, and you know ultimately if we look at the macro picture big dynamic young population um, I think Chris you know you you said it if really some of these complexities and issues can be addressed and also and many of them have already been identified and proper checks and balances and syst systematic processes put in place to drive some of these reforms uh, through um, Indonesia really, uh, you know, can really sort of regain its position um, as the real uh, land of opportunity. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, both an optimist, but also pragmatic and I appreciate there are significant challenges, but uh, I am excited about the future ahead and, and, and the opportunities. And I think there are great examples of companies that have been able to successfully manage and navigate these issues and, uh, and, and establish and really make a big splash in a really big market and be noticed. So um, I think uh, on that, uh, that note, thank you. 
And uh, Gabriel, before I uh, ask for your closing comment on the opportunity side, I, I, I'd just like to remind you, if I may, that there was, there was one index that you didn't refer to among all those indices that you quoted. And of course, it is the Britcham Business Confidence Index, which has been running for seven years. And we were about to uh, do our, our 2021. But just to remind everybody that for the last three or four years, two out of three businesses that have responded to that, and these have been European, British European businesses, domiciled in, in Indonesia, two out of three are either committed to further investment or still considering further investment in Indonesia. So the opportunities must be there. Um, Gabriel. Yeah, sorry for the omission. Um, <laughs> my, my, my final observations are, are actually not really compliance or process related. They're, well, in a sense, they're platitudes because they apply anywhere. But um, you know, I would say don't wait, get on with things, um, but take good advice whether it's from TMF, you know, as we do, as we are doing currently in South America, for example, which is a relatively unknown market for us. Uh, but both formal advice and talking to others, to your peers, you know, form relationships, find out how other people are doing things. Um, lo local presence or local partners, as Alvin said in his, in his own slides, are absolutely essential. Um, fly in, fly out, doesn't get you very far. It, you know, it can open a door, but if you want things to happen, um, you need local partners, local presence to support you. Don't underestimate language misunderstandings. You know, if you're in an environment where your language is not the first language, uh, it's so easy to have misunderstandings. And that applies just as much to written understandings. You might think you've set everything out absolutely crystal clear but it gets interpreted in different ways. So it, it, it's all about communication, actually. Okay. The, the, the biggest single set of skills that you need is uh, communication skills. Okay, thank you, Gabriel. So again, you're uh, reconfirming the, the need to surround yourself with uh, a, a support infrastructure that's got a lot of experience. And when you mentioned talking to others and uh, delving into networks for uh, anecdotal information about you know how to do this and how to navigate that of course there is no better than uh, uh, a chamber of commerce such as Britcham with such deep and diverse networks um, uh, Alvin a few closing comments from yourself uh, thank you uh, Chris and uh, thank you Marius and Gabriel for the, your 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 uh, comments just now um, for me I think uh, you know it's just re um you know capping what what was said earlier during uh, the slide presentation is um you know and maybe responding a bit to the question about the the the, the inward or the, the incoming that's still taking place i think it's um you know i think some of the either the challenges with the the gdp growth or the contraction we, we are witnessing and and what we observe and, and all those things those are all temporary right those are on temporary so you know um have in mind about you know um investing and moving into indonesia expanding into indonesia developing a business now is the time um and you know i think the the, the four key things uh, as uh, mentioned earlier is you know again about managing your liquidity and as mentioned by gabriel and 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 
matters about having a local partner on the ground uh, that can help you navigate and give guidance, um, you know, um, really understand the landscape of the rules and regulations, um, you know, and take full advantage of what's available for you um, as you are considering the investment in Indonesia. And um, I think most, most important of all is uh, to just focus uh, your time, attention and effort in your on the things that you do best, right? The products and services that that you do, um, and you know, um, and and work with others who can, you know, um, who can help you cover some of the other risk areas as as you get set up in Indonesia. Um, Alvin, thank you very much for that. And as we again, as I restate, eighty nine percent of those people with a vested interest in this country. Um, are experiencing, um, are having a good experience with their relationship and their journey in Indonesia. That's a very, very significant percentage. Um, we're at the end, unfortunately, of uh, this particular hour that we've overrun. Um, we've dealt with some of the questions that, that I haven't mentioned people by name, but we've covered them. For example, the China issue, um, the issue about nav navigating complex regulatory situations. Um, I'd like to apologize to those people whose questions that we couldn't get round to. Uh, Tim, we appreciate uh, your question there from Leonard, from Andrew, um, from uh, Batara, uh, Dr. Paul Aitken. That was a human resource related question for those who don't know. Richam's Human Capital and Education member focus group kicks off next week. You're welcome to join that. Uh, and also the climate change group, if you wish, provided that you're a member. Um, so thank you, thank you very much for your questions. Um, I, I, at this stage, like to thank the sponsorship and partnership of Kelly's Express once again. Greatly appreciated. Um, also to say a big thank you to our panelists, uh, Alvin, for sharing the piece of work from TMF that's been at the heart of this particular webinar. Uh, to uh, Marius, um, working uh, partner with a legal firm here, um, <clears throat> and uh, advising companies uh, with their market access issues as well. And, and Gabriel, who has gone through this, um, went through many parts of this journey just a, a couple of years ago, um, and is already experiencing some of the benefits from the opportunities that are Indonesia. I noticed that 60 something percent of the people on this call are in fact non-members of Richam. We've had a non-charging policy, we're keeping it going for now. You're very welcome to join us. But what we'd really like is your vote of support by turning your interest in our webinars into interest in corporate membership of Richam. Uh, you really will reap the rewards. Um, I'd just like to wish uh, those of you who are UK facing uh, a very good rest of your morning. Um, those of you who are over here in Southeast Asia and in particular in Indonesia, very good afternoon, soon becoming evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please keep an eye on our webinar schedule for other webinars um, that we know are of particular interest to our membership and our stakeholders. Thanks for joining Britain on this occasion.